This is Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast, recorded Thursday, March 21st, 2013. I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm joined by my good friends, Dave Higdon. In this case, I'm pretty certain that the uh, investigators should go into the tape first to confirm that they were calling out the correct flight number, and second to hear whether anybody gave a response. And Jeb Burnside. Quote, I was not present and did not witness any airplane flight on August 14, 1901. I do not remember or recall ever hearing of a flight with this particular plane or any other that Whitehead ever built, unquote. This time on UCAP, we explore a well-sourced story that claims that the Wright brothers weren't the first. When is it okay to ignore the instructions of air traffic control? And from the faces of babes, a little girl reminds us about the joy of flying. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, 83 Wise Asses. Say it ain't so, the Wright brothers weren't first. Yes, they were. Uh, well, this it is... It ain't so. Okay. Th- this is a little bit compelling. This, I mean, we hear these kinds of stories from time to time, and they usually have kind of big gotchas, you know, like they weren't really controlled flight or it wasn't powered flight or, you know, but uh, from what I read anyways of this story, it's somewhat compelling that, uh, that the, was it Whitehead? Is this this guy's name? Whitehead? Uh, um, has, no, uh, Whitehead. There seems to be some documentation suggesting that, uh, let's, uh, here we go, I'll... I'll Uncharacteristically, I'll actually open the story and have it in front of me. Uh, uh, in a, what am I reading from? I'm reading from Flying Mag, Flying Magazine's website, flyingmag.com. Uh, in a startling announcement a few days ago, Jane's All the World Aircraft, which is not a shabby uh, reference for uh, for history of airplanes, um, has named uh, an August 1901 flight by a Connecticut aviation pioneer, Gustav Whitehead, as the first successful powered flight in history beating the Wright brothers by more than two years. goes on to talk about the details, but uh, according to this, some historian researchers have got some compelling evidence, newspaper articles and, uh, and, and uh, pictures and things that talk about this guy flying a powered aircraft that was controllable, which to me were the two things that made the Wright brothers distinctive. What do you guys think? Uh, oh, I think you know, if you, the, the evidence is, is really in the, uh, the taglines. Uh, the mottos, if you will, on the uh, North Carolina and Ohio state license tags. Yeah. How is that relevant? Tell me. Well, North Carolina says they are first in flight. Yes. And Ohio says that they are the birthplace of aviation. Yeah. And so what so, now? I mean, end of discussion. Now, how, can, how can two state legislatures be wrong? Yeah, but I understand that, that uh, the next batch of, of Connecticut license plates, the motto is going to be, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, a, you know, there's another article. Uh, in in Air and Space uh, um, Mag, uh, Air and Space Magazine, uh, the Smithsonian's uh, um, uh, very well done publication, has an article here dated May, uh, March 18, uh, which is written by let me let me remember really a blog post I guess, um, um, written by Linda Shiner, but quotes um, a, a Smithsonian. Um, 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 a staffer, editor uh, by the name of Paul Jackson, uh, who's written a, a fairly detailed uh, refutation of the Jane's uh, article. And in and, and, and Flying Magazine is really quoting Jane's All the World Aircraft, um, which, uh, you know, 
here's a good here's a good little factoid. It's not about some little girl named Jane. Okay, the, the guy's last name, the publisher's name, was Jane back in the day, and they've, they've kept that up. But anyway, um, one little factoid here is is some of the evidence uh, associated with this claim that Gustav Whitehead was the first uh, uh, to do powered heavier than air flight. Um, comes from a Bridgeport, Connecticut Sunday Herald story back in 1901, I guess, is the, uh, uh, and there's some other articles that were published. Um, but um, someone tracked down uh, two witnesses who were quoted in this 1901 story. Um, one of them could not be found. Uh, or one of them, no one could remember one of the witnesses who was supposedly quoted or, or uh, um, named in this original story. Uh, he did find, however, one of the other witnesses named in the original story. Wait, wait, wait. This is a story that took place 112 years ago. No, but the, this tracking down was done in the 30s. Oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So I'll just read this latter part of this paragraph. When an interviewer returned to Bridgeport to research the claims in 1936, okay, he could not find anyone who remembered Selleck, who was one of the Andrew Selleck, who was one of the people uh, named in the story as being as in the original story as being a witness. He did find Dickey, uh, James Dickey, uh, who supplied the following quote. Dickey says, "I believe the entire story of the Herald was imaginary." and grew out of the comments of Whitehead discussing what he hoped to get from his plane, unquote. The supposed witness commented, quote, I was not present and did not witness any airplane flight on August 14, 1901. I do not remember or recall ever hearing of a flight with this particular plane or any other that Whitehead ever built, unquote. Okay. It gets, that it that gets would seem better. to be definitive. Well, it's, it it's certainly better. dispositive. It gets better. Well, you're in Space Magazine's uh, uh, follow-up, which Jeb was just treating us to. Uh, there's a quote from Stanley Yale Beach, who was the grandson of the editor of Scientific American and Whitehead's principal backer, according to the Air and Space story. He was unequivocal on the issue. Quote, I do not believe that any of his machines ever left the ground in spite of the assertions of many people who think they saw them fly. I think I was in a better position during nine years I was giving Whitehead money to develop his ideas to know what his machines could do than persons who were employed by him for a short period of time or those who remained silent for 35 years about what would have been a historic achievement in aviation, close quote. Uh, this has been litigated over and over and over again in the past hundred years right. and always come up short. And I'm stunned at the editor, at James, for picking this up based on what seems to me uh, to be rather thin sourcing, if you're depending on the website by the Australian gentleman that makes these claims that Whitehead was first, and taking, uh, you know, at, at, at wholesale prices, the claims of witnesses that he quotes in that. Uh, that James would do that because the Smithsonian people have been over this time and time again. Uh, independent historians have been over this time and time again. Uh, I remember a couple of other guys that were supposed to be first. I don't remember their names, 
But they were all local fellows. There was a fellow here in Kansas that was building an airplane uh, about the time that the Wrights were flying. Uh, and at one time, people wanted to claim that he'd been the first, uh, only to find out that he, he had not actually flown the airplane and did, in fact, not fly anything until after the Wrights flew, and it was somebody else's design. So this, this is thin, awfully thin. Yeah, okay. Well, and I think you guys both make good points, and I'm a big Wright Brothers fan, so I'm inclined to believe that they were the guys. On the other hand, uh, the Smithsonian is famously, uh, they, were, they were big Wright Brothers deniers back in the early days, right? They, it was a while before oh, they huge, acknowledged huge. that the Wright Brothers were the guys. So, the Wright, so, so, so one might argue that the Smithsonian has, uh, is motivated to kind of keep this story straight. Uh, I don't know. I believe it, but, you know. Well, Alexander well, Graham Bell ran a campaign to refute the Wright brothers, Gilbert Grosvenor, who yeah, was well, wasn't, geographic. Uh, they were, uh, they, they all had a vested interest in the Wright brothers failing because they were all putting their efforts and inventive money into their own machines, which was one of which was launched from a Navy ship uh, down the hill from the White House on the Potomac River and promptly landed in the river and sank. The first seaplane. Yeah. yeah now, and wasn't one of the uh, quote-unquote competitors um, the head of the Smithsonian at the yeah. time? Yeah. Well, right? the, yeah. if, you, if you scroll down on the, the air and space link, um, the, they have a, uh, a subsection of this post uh, which talks about this, which talks about um, uh, Samuel P. Langley, who was the third secretary of the Smithsonian, uh, had had maintained that he had an airplane that was capable of flight before the Wright brothers, and as as Dave correctly notes, uh, he called it the aerodrome. Um, air, the aerodrome had had twice crashed into the Potomac when tested in October and December 1903, i.e., contemporaneously with the Wright brothers' first flight. Uh, it was launched from, as as Dave correctly notes, a, a boat in the in the Potomac, and and you know did what my debonair would do the first time it lands in water. Uh, <laughs> uh, kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and details a lot of the um, uh, Sturm and Drang, if you will, that that ensued between Langley and Curtis and the Wrights, and et cetera, et cetera. And there is a contract. Um, from which the um, the the um, um, Air and Space Magazine quotes, <clears throat> you know, yes, that contract is still in effect relative to uh, the Smithsonian talking about who was first. It was a contract between the Wright brothers and the Smithsonian uh, to detail who was the first uh, in heavier than air powered flight, and um, if the Smithsonian were ever to acknowledge or, or put forth the proposition that someone other than the Wright brothers were first, then under that contract, they would lose the right to display the right flyer. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's all detailed lower down in this post. But I, you know, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know why Jane's published this. When I first saw this, I thought, well, you know, it's a little early for April Fool's. Um, yeah, well... And, and, but, you know, flip side of which is maybe it is in their April issue. I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, also, you know, it's it's an interesting story, uh, and uh, and it's good link bait, you know. It'll, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll, oh, yeah, it'll drive traffic and, and generate discussion on various podcasts. And and I and I and by saying that, I shouldn't suggest that they don't take it seriously. Maybe, they, you know, Jane's probably, you know, 
is very serious about this and, and, and considers their research to be valid. But, you know, anyways, you know, so whether or not, whether or not the Wright brothers first flight was the first flight, um, and whether or not it was significant. Here's a first flight that is significant. Okay. Um, this little girl, I, I've been hearing about this video for yeah. some time now. Uh, yeah. It's been pretty viral for the better part of a couple of weeks or maybe more now. And I confess I hadn't actually watched it until this morning. I, I've been reading people say how, how adorable and, and heartbreak, heartbreaking in a good way. I mean, just, just, you know, brings tears to your eye kind of video. I only watched it for the first time this morning and it's all that and more. I mean, this is just, just an awesome little piece of video. Um, Lainey, uh, whose last name I don't believe is given anywhere here, um, who is apparently six years old. I did a little research, and one of the stories, one of the related stories describes her as six years old, which is about right, I would guess, um, was taken for her first airplane ride in a uh, 40, 1946 Cub um, by apparently her dad. Uh, and uh, took a lot of pictures and mounted a camera up uh, in the front of the cockpit so we can see her face and her expressions throughout the entire flight, and it's just awesome. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just terrific. You, I mean, and just you can see the whole range of emotions. You know, as the thing's all getting started and getting ready to go, they're strapping her in, you know, they're getting ready to, to take off and taxi, and you can see in her eyes there's a little bit of anticipation. It's like, you know, what, what, what about, you know what's going on here? Is this, am I scared? What's going on? And... Uh, and then very, very soon after they, you, the takeoff happens, you see her expression go to one of just like delight. I mean, she's just got this big grin on her face and she's waving to her friends on the ground and, and uh, clapping her hands. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they're flying the cub with the door open. And at one point she reaches out into the slipstream and that motivates her to put her, apparently the windows open on the other side. Yeah. And so she raised both her hands out like wings and she was actually flying in the slipstream for a couple minutes there. And, uh, you know, her and her, her, I'll keep calling him her dad. I don't know if that's true, but her and her dad pointing out things on the ground and, uh, and just her joy, her, her delight at the whole thing. And then, and then at some point, maybe about halfway, two thirds way through the flight, her, her expression, my, my sense of her expression changed a little bit and the kind of, kind of initial awe and, and delight and joy of it kind of calmed down and she became very, still very positive, but it was almost like, you know, contemplative. It was like, wow, this is really cool. Look at all these things, you know, and uh, it's just a, an awesome video. And uh, if you were, anybody's like me and you haven't, uh, haven't watched this video, you got to track it down. I'm going to call her, by the way, um, I, I, in the video, they call mm. her Lainey. I'm going to call her Cindy Lou. You know why? Mm. Come back to that later on. Um, why? But I think this is a, I think this is a million dollar video. I think if this I mean, this, for, for this little girl later in life, this will be an awesome video right. to be able to look back on. If this little girl goes on to do any sort of flying, to uh, to you know just simply go private pilot or beyond, um, this will be just an awesome piece of video to to remember that first flight. You know, and uh, um, it's just terrific. I mean, I'm babbling here. What was your reaction to this whole thing? Oh, I agree. Uh, it's very. Uh uh, the whole range of emotions uh, uh, captured in this in this video um, were uh, just a, typical, I would think. I mean, I, I took a friend um, for a first airplane ride uh, last year, and uh, we uh, said, "Look, you know, uh, plan A is to go from from A to B here, um, but we're going to stop and get some fuel at this outlying airport." And said, 
that will be your opportunity. If you don't like this, if you're scared or you're not comfortable with, with this, that will be your opportunity to say, so we'll turn around and go back. And that'll be the end of it. And it's no harm, no foul. And um, she was definitely very, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there was, there was some anxiety yeah. there. So, you know, we took off and, and uh, climbed up. And there was still, you know, I could tell some anxiety. Ten minutes later, by the time we landed, she's, she's like, oh, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's do whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm good for this. This is great. You know, da, 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 da. Same kind of thing here. Yeah. David, what about you? Well, first of all, <laughs> it just knocked my socks off watching Lainey, watching her various reactions. It's like you're seeing on the outside what we feel on the inside when we go fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we don't get to see ourselves like that, but I know still today I get this little knot in my stomach before the airplane lifts off and as it lifts off and climbs out it's like I can't fucking believe I can do this <laughs> no it's terrific it's terrific uh, Cindy Lou who come on you know what I'm talking about here Cindy Lou is the one who melted the Grinch's heart okay that's what I that's uh... I, I that's what I kept thinking about. Anybody who, who, who doesn't quite get it about flying um, and has a cold, frozen heart about aviation uh, has got to watch Laney, Cindy Lou Laney, and, uh, and, and maybe get a little bit of that feeling. That's my thing. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. I get that. Dad, here comes Lassie. I wonder where she's been. Hey, girl, what's wrong? Timmy, what's Lassie saying? Dad, she's saying that members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals and that their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. That a girl, Lassie. Timmy, let's get some rope. They need our help. No, Dad, she says that anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. So you should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane, Dad. a girl, Lassie. I don't know anything about this story. Uh, the, the, some crew was instructed to land, and they decided to abort. And uh, Oh, no, they were, they were ordered to abort, and they landed anyways. The other way around. The other way around. Do either of you know what this story was all about? No, other than what's on the uh, – an AvWeb reported this. Other than what's on AvWeb and, and via the Toronto Star, um, I don't know anything about this. Um, I, I have you know, a lot of mixed – emotions here about you know just um the concept of air traffic controllers telling pilots what to do um and this particular article and let me open the toronto store star uh piece um jet ignored order to abort landing after driverless van rolled across pearson runway and basically uh, a ground, uh, a rampy, um, was doing some work on a, on an airplane on a ramp, as rampies do, and uh, left the engine on this truck running, and and either it was already in gear or somehow slipped into gear, and uh, started rolling off across the airport. Um, in doing so, apparently it um, crossed the active runway, 
the uh, tower apparently uh, told this uh, incoming flight to go around. Um, apparently twice. Mm-hmm. Um, the flight went ahead and landed anyway. So the controller twice instructed the pilots to abort their landing and go around, but the crew ignored the orders and proceeded to land. Yeah. This is tricky. It is very tricky. Um, um, for starters, this is Canada, and, and I don't know for a fact that the Canadian regulations are the same as what I understand them to be in the United States, right? But mm-hmm. uh, So here would be my analysis of it, all right, is that uh, you know, pi- ultimately the pilot has the authority to do what he thinks is best. And uh, if the pilot you know, considered the situation and concluded that the runway was, in fact, clear, that on one hand he's, he's entitled to land – on the other hand, here in the United States, anyways, isn't it the regulation that you are required to follow the instructions of ATC? Well, yeah, these regulations are, in my mind, are slightly in conflict. Um, another graph from the story is, is interesting, though, also. This is, again, the Toronto Star story. So asked later why they ignored the go-around commands. Yeah, yeah. The, the Air, Air Canada pilots told air traffic control they thought the order was, quote, for someone else, unquote. This is where uh, it gets a little troubling. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like CYA, but I, that's really very, very reckless of me to suggest. Well, this but. is why I'm pretty sure the Canadian uh, air traffic control system does the same thing. This is why we have tape to record tower communications and center communications with aircraft, which pilots can ask to have preserved mm-hmm. uh, in their defense. Uh, if there's a, a an incident or accident that well, if there's an accident, that stuff usually gets preserved automatically. If there was any communications involved, in this case, I'm pretty certain that the uh, investigators are going to the tape and listening to the controllers first to confirm that they were calling out the correct flight number, and second to hear whether anybody gave a response because it sounds to me like nobody responded. Right. Which would ratchet up the urgency in my mind uh, up in the tower, tower cab. What the hell is now? What else is wrong? We've got a flight that's not responding to radio transmissions. We've got a loose vehicle running across the airport uh, without anybody in control or talking to, to ground. Uh, hey, is this thing working? Is this thing working? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Huh? Uh, why, why Z? You ask for a radio check, and 83 wise asses all go, Oh, I got mine. <laughs> <laughs> it's right where I left it. Yeah. Well, I was just looking. Um, you're right. Obviously, FAA rec- or, or some, some, somebody that, on behalf of FAA records all this audio. Um, I just did a quick check. Um, LiveATC.net also monitors uh, Toronto uh, Tower and Arrival. Um, and, uh, well, tower and arrival. So I wonder if they captured it and, and preserved it. Um, how long ago was this? They preserved those things for a while. But, uh, you know, Monday I mean, night, yeah. This article, and the article is dated March 14, so I'm not going to get a calendar. So it was like 10 days ago. Cited as Monday, so that would have been March the 11th. Yeah, I think they keep at least like a month's worth or something like that. Um, so well, In the U.S., it's seven days. No, I'm talking about Live ATC. LiveATC.net oh, 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 okay. preserves um, all these feeds for, uh, I think, like a month or maybe more. I don't know. I, I shouldn't say that. They, they definitely preserve them. I don't know how long. And uh, um, 
if I dig deeper, I'm reluctant to dig deeper because I'm on a hotel internet connection here. I'm, I've already noticed that I surf the net. You guys start to start to uh, get a little broken up. So uh, surf's up. Anyways, it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. I, I don't know. Is there any any follow up here to whether or not they're going to try and uh, uh, you know punish this guy, this pilot, crew? Oh, or crew. Yeah, well, I mean, pilot in command, right? Whoever was captain. Punish? I don't know about punish. Uh, put a letter in his file. Uh, you know, have him do an extra ten push-ups at his next recurrent. Uh, somebody was obviously looking at the runway and saw that it was clear from their statements, or at least it seems obvious, that they looked at the runway. But I can't keep coming back to why did nobody answer? What was going on in the cockpit up there? They they thought it was. They thought it was for another aircraft. Was the controller even using a flight number? Was the controller using the correct flight number? If so, what else was going on in that cockpit? Because, guys, we have distracted pilot incidents stacking up like we have distracted driver incidents down on the streets. Cell phones, tablets, texting, well, watching the movie on your Kindle, uh, looking, checking your scheduling. On your on your notebook, all of this stuff has shown up as incidents uh, in the last year and a half or two years uh, because of uh, the uh, penetration, if you will, of personal electronics on the flight deck that are being used sometimes in spite of company policies and in spite of good judgment. It makes me wonder if that was another incident. Well, that's 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 that's, that's a very good question. I, I think a crew. Um, in, sterile cockpit applies not only in U.S. airspace but in, in, in other airspace, and I'm sure it applies in, in um, Canadian airspace. A crew on uh, final approach um, certainly is going to be, you know, they've run the checklist. They're, you know, they're, they're both both pilots are engaged. They're they're not, you know, surfing porn sites on their laptops. Um, I you know, did yeah did the did the controllers have the correct flight number um you know my way of thinking if i'm approaching an airport and if i'm on final i'm clear to land whatever and tower is saying go around go around i'm going to ask or was that for me yeah i think okay. so yeah uh, i'm going to i'm going to ask a question try to ask a question and 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 i might just arrest my descent uh for a few, a few seconds and try to figure out you know whiskey tango foxtrot um, the punchline, of course, here is that the crew landed safely. They, they, they did not identify any issues on the runway, uh, landed safely. And, uh, the, the only real issue here is what was said to whom and by whom and when. Yeah. Um, that, all of that having been said, I just, you know, just sticks in my craw about how, um, Controllers are directing uh, airplane pilots to do X, Y, or Z, and you know this gets into another topic we might discuss later in the episode. But uh, uh, last time I checked, even in Canada, the pilot was still final authority to the aircraft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know That's Jeb. Yeah. Bottom but, line, that has to be the bottom line. Yeah. Exactly. I, I know Jeb from flying with you. This is one of the subjects that will kind of get your dander up more than anything I've ever noticed, and that is when an, an, an when a controller tells you how to fly your airplane 
<laughs> All right. I, I've been with you a number of different times um, when they tell you things like it's time to drop your gear or, or you know, things like that. And uh, I, and I'm with you. I think I, I, I'm sense, I'm sympathetic to, to your side of it, Jeb. Um, so I know this kind of bugs you. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, th- this gets into the whole uh, sequestration tower closure issue and 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 things like that. But uh, um yeah, I mean, my thoughts on this are, are fairly well known. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, David, uh, go ahead. There, there are circumstances and regulations uh, that apply to us when we're on instrument flight plans. Uh, there are requirements that we follow instructors, our controllers' instructions to a certain point, like. Uh, G turn on this heading to avoid a possible collision, and you're in the soup or you can't see. Uh, maybe you're between layers, and you think, "Well, I don't see the other airplane, but he does." So, probably be a good idea to pay attention. Right. Uh, usually, when a controller tells a landing aircraft to go around, it's not because the controller thought, well, you know, I'd really like to see this guy spend more time in the air. Uh, it's usually for, like, well, there's a truck on the runway. <laughs> Your landing gear is not down. Yeah, I've actually seen that one happen. Uh, yeah. And uh, so there's a fine line there between hearing the controllers, paying attention, and realizing that they're probably giving you that for a, a reason, yeah. as opposed to you're on VFR flight following, and he says, you know, uh, I want you to go around St. Louis. And you say, gee, thanks. No, cancel. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. the two are definitely the same. I mean, short final, someone tells me to go around, I'm going to, um, I'm going to react. I may not you know, firewall everything and, and pull the nose up immediately, I will react in some fashion. I'll, you know, say, A, is that for me? B, what's the problem? C, what are my choices here? Yeah. So we and should. If I'm asked to go around and I'm, for example, uh, a, a critical on fuel, uh, I, I, I'm, I may try to take the extra five seconds to second guess that. Mm-hmm. Uh, gee, well, I make it through a go-around. Sorry, exercising pilot prerogative. Uh, I see the truck. I'm going to land beyond it. Uh, just call me Senator Inhofe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Moving on here. Um, so uh, I think unrelated to the uh, to the uh, Air Canada landing story here, um, drones, 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 drones. This is, a story, this is another one of those stories that keeps on giving. Um, this is like light speed all over again. We're going to have a drone story every episode from now on. You watch. Um, Jeb, you called our attention to this New York Times article on drones. I haven't read the article, but the, the, the pull quote you gave us here is kind of interesting. What's, why was this interesting to you? Well, two two things going on here that that I think are interesting, or perhaps not interesting, but but apocryphal. One is uh, the longer the FAA takes to come up with its regulations and its uh, test areas and um, all these various things that it's been directed to do by Congress, the longer this takes, the greater the likelihood of events overtaking the FAA and, and federal policy on drones. You, you, we've got um, 
a story here by the Blaze, and I don't, I don't Blaze dot com. I don't know this this website, but here's a report that uh, um, an aerial photographer in the um, I can't tell where, um, I guess uh, this the uh, Twin Cities area in, in Minnesota uh, was using a drone. Uh, for commercial purposes, he's doing aerial photography with a drone, uh, and not coincidentally, apparently, he was doing it in Class B airspace. Um, and there's there's two things going on here. One is he's doing it in Class B airspace, uh, where the, the 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 tears go down to the surface. Um, second thing going on here is uh, um, commercial use of a drone is something that the FAA, commercial use of any aircraft is something the FAA tends to take very seriously. And like it or not, aerial photography, uh, whether from a piloted aircraft or from a drone, the FAA considers to be a commercial activity. Um, so they are, <clears throat> they're, they clamp down on this guy, um, um, uh, grounded him temporarily, whatever, um, apparently he's still doing some of this, but um, uh, doing it for his own purposes, personal reasons, as opposed to commercial reasons. Um, so uh, that's that's one jumping off point is there's a there's a fine line between commercial use of a drone and, and private use of a drone. What are you going to do with the product of any photography or videography that, that is, or any other data for that matter? produced by the flight of the drone. Um, but um, um, secondly, uh, there was a hearing, um, apparently a Senate hearing, <clears throat> um, talking about uh, you know some of the beneficial uses of drones, mainly talking about the privacy issues associated with them. And you know, I'll be the first to admit that the, yeah, there are you know a lot of beneficial uses for these, these uh, craft. I won't call them aircraft. Um, but I think we're all getting a little, um, certainly law enforcement and government agencies and, and uh, some private individuals, private companies are getting a little gaga and going way around the bend on some of this. But more importantly, the policy side has not kept up with what's going on out in the field. And uh, um, we really need to shake loose uh, uh, some, some policy de uh, decisions here and come up with a plan. Uh, for how this stuff works. Yeah, I just did a quick search, a Google search. Uh, I, I put in a Google RC aircraft in Class B airspace, and uh, I was hoping that it would tell me whether or not it is it is explicitly allowed or not allowed. It, it seems to be saying it's not allowed. The thing I find interesting about the result of this search is that there's a lot of conversation in the radio-controlled aircraft world uh, about um, they are horrified by hobbyists and drone people who are recklessly flying yeah. in Class yeah. B airspace. Um, they recognize that this is, could damage their hobby. And, uh, and so the RC community is, uh, is, seems to be taking this pretty seriously. And uh, um, the, the connotation here, the implication in these stories is that what, what you would expect, which is that even they, apparently their rule is like 400 feet. Um, they can fly their aircraft up to 400 feet relatively 
freely, but not in class B is what the connotation I'm getting from these stories is. I, you know, I, I said this last episode and then I failed to follow through. We should get Jeff Ward or somebody yeah. um, like him who understands the RC rules. Because I want, just for starters, it seems to me that even these, these, these sort of quote unquote professional drones ought to be complying with the RC rules. Um, they, they ought to be able to operate as an RC aircraft. Whatever those rules are, I, I don't. I don't know what they are, and but we are definitely seeing all the time um, incidents where they they seem to be going beyond those rules. And uh, well, I, I'd agree with that on on both counts. I, I think lacking a policy to the contrary, or lacking uh, um, some other policy, that uh, the rules on RC aircraft, hobbyist aircraft, are the ones that should be um, uh, in place or the ones that should be enforced and or complied with. Um, but we're seeing a lot of uh, what I would call cowboys um, who are giving the rest of them a bad name. And until and unless some of this is uh, resolved, we're going to have these problems. The um, um, And I don't recall... You know, we talked on on several occasions about all this and, and the new legislation that the FAA is trying to implement. Um, I know that there was a, um, a series of limitations enacted. I don't know if they were proposed or if they were final. Uh, they had to do with, you know, not within five miles of an airport, um, not above some altitudes, only in good weather, only when the the operator can visually see the craft being flown, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know if those, are, again, are draft or, or in, in place, but it's clear that even if they are in place, they're not being complied with. Yeah, yeah. David, yeah, you, you – go ahead, David. I was just going to say this is so much, uh, in my mind, uh, a problem that Congress created. Right. When it legislated the FAA's uh, rulemaking process to set uh, goals and deadlines uh, of Congress's making, and this is all done because there's a lot of business pent up waiting to sell even more of these things and sell services with them, uh, much of which will not be below 400 feet in line of sight. Uh, and Congress has responded to the business community and basically told the FAA, make the safety part work, whatever it takes, Mm -hmm. but make it work by this time so these people can get on with making money. Mm -hmm. And those of us that fly the airspace machines that require a human on board to carry humans places find this a little bit objectionable because... Even with line of sight and 400 feet, uh, there's some perspective issues. There's some distortion issues. uh, There's the inability of the RC craft. And and this is where it all got crazy. When we stopped calling them RC and started calling them drones because that's a sexier label. I mean, what's allowed in the airspace now is nothing more than the glorified maybe camera-equipped, radio-controlled platform that you could buy at most hobby shops. Now, admittedly, some of the inventors and some of the entrepreneurs have come up with some different configurations that just make people go gaga, and they've made them dumb-proof in terms of what it takes to fly them, uh, or as close to it as we've seen. 
uh, and none of this does a damn thing to advance the safety in the airspace if the people won't follow the rules. Yeah, yeah. The, this legislation you're alluding to, David, is this the uh, Representative Markey stuff that you had called our attention to, or is that something else? That's something else. What's that all about? That, well, that's uh, that's a uh, member of Congress that's trying to uh, uh, counter counterbalance this rush to put drones in all the airspace that can possibly generate revenue for somebody. So his is a uh, uh, an amendment. His proposal is to amend the FAA Modernization and Reform Act of 2012. That's what we just got. Uh, and provide guidance and limitations regarding the integration of unmanned aircraft systems in the United States airspace and for other purposes. Essentially, he wants to establish a privacy standard that can be enforced enforced uh, so that folks like you and me can say, no, I don't want NBC News hovering over my house with their cameras uh, because I prefer to sunbathe naked in the backyard and the neighbors don't mind, but I mind it going on YouTube. Yeah. YouTube would probably not want to see me naked online anyway, but that's another story. So I'm not clear on whether we like the Markey legislation or not. I, I'm, I'm leaning toward it because most of it's just uh, trying to give people on the ground some control over who can spy on them and how they right. can be used. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a there's a long-standing body of law that says if a private citizen can view something on the ground from the air, that that is not an invasion of privacy. And there was a famous case, Jack, I'm sure you're aware of this, involving Barbara Streisand. Sure. Right. And her home on the central coast of California was photographed, and she objected to this, took it uh, into, into court, and lost. And the, the ruling basically says that anybody who is – uh, airborne and, and view something uh, airborne is is not violating that that person the person on the ground's privacy. Uh, I'm not concerned about that so much as I am um, uh, law enforcement, federal agencies, state agencies, government agencies, basically um, doing things using these kinds of aircraft, um, these kinds of craft, I should say. Uh, to spy on me, my neighbors, and, and you two and everybody else within range of my voice, uh, looking for things that they are not aware of and, and possible violations of law. They're just out there fishing uh, for, for possible violations of law. If they had a warrant, that's one thing, but they have to have reasonable, used to have, you know, uh, used to be forced to have reasonable suspicion to have a warrant. Some of those things no longer exist. But um, that's my concern. Yeah, yeah. It's a very tricky subject. I, I, I don't know how relevant it is. I, I keep thinking, though, there is apparently, I don't know if it's law or just an understanding. I believe it's, the, it's, it's some sort of law that um, there is a privacy rule law that says that you, even if you can see from a public, you're standing in a public place, all right? Mm-hmm. A photographer is not entitled to take a picture through the window into someone's home. Um, that the, there's correct. a there's a privacy. Of yeah. course, David, you would know all about this, wouldn't you? Um, yeah. And uh, and and so, 
And that doesn't exactly apply to looking into someone's backyard from the air, but it feels similar to me. But Jeb, you're right. I mean, you know, the, the common law has been that people have been able to look down from the sky for some time now, and it was, it's been basically okay. Tricky stuff, tricky stuff. It is tricky Well, stuff. the case of Barbara Streisand, what was going on was a professional photographer was, had, had developed a project uh, uh, to photograph pretty much the entire coastline right. of California. Right. He wasn't specifically photographing Streisand's right. house. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, how do you impose this on the uh, the uh, commercial photographer who's also a pilot who has his little aerial photography business kit that he bought online, and he's flying around taking aerial photographs of people's homes and estates. Which he then, in turn, tries to sell to them. Okay, first off, that's not a drone. Uh, second, uh, that falls under the same kind of shooting uh, photography latitude that Barbara Streisand uh, lost on. But it doesn't give that guy a right to hover over your backyard and photograph your backyard barbecue and all your guests. He can orbit around within the legal limits of the airspace and shoot oblique photos of your of your home to try to sell to you. He can't do that and then try to sell them commercially uh, without your permission. Uh, so there's 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 a lot in play here that already exists in mm-hmm. terms of yeah. what can be done and what can be observed. Uh, but this stuff has taken it all to a whole new level. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we started seeing some of this arise when uh, who was it? Google is doing the street-level photography right. and putting people's homes and addresses online. And, and you know, you can, call up my, you can call up my house, uh, which I may point to if I ever decide to sell it, as featured on Google. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a textbook case of, of the new technology, uh, you know, in, introducing situations that just kind of weren't anticipated and that we can't, haven't quite figured out yet. And time will tell. Um, lastly, before we move on, just uh, I, it probably is not not relevant, but I just feel like a, I feel a need to point out that Representative Markey, who uh, in, introduced this legislation that Dave was talking about, um, last time I checked, I believe Representative Markey is the leading candidate to be elected uh, senator in Massachusetts to replace um, now Secretary of State Kerry. So uh, um, I don't know how relevant that is, but just point of information. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. David, what's going on? They're bulldozing a, a, a hang gliding space? I don't quite get this story. Tell me. Yeah, this is a, uh, in the hang gliding community, Point of the Mountain, which is, uh, I don't know, less than an hour out of Salt Lake City down south of the point of the mountain has for over 30 years been one of the most reliable, most soarable hang gliding launch sites in the world. I mean, it's just, it, it's a magnet. Uh, and, and it's got even more so with the, with the advent of paragliding. Uh, you can basically drive up this hill to a flat plateau or this mountain to a flat plateau, set your glider up there, launch, soar, and then land back on the plateau 
pull the glider up and put it back on your vehicle. Uh, it's almost a light switch soaring site that is almost every day when weather transitions don't interfere. It gets soarable at a reliable time of day, stays soarable for a reliable period of time. Guys that were trying to make a living as professional hang glider pilots, competition pilots, they would go and live out there for months so that they could fly every day and get soaring. Well, now it's under uh, assault by a, uh, a, a company in Salt Lake City that's mining gravel. With all the places that they can get gravel, this was an easy place to get it. Uh, they're using these huge bulldozers to, uh, to uh, uh, scrape the mountain and basically reshaping it and possibly changing its soaring characteristics. And uh, a lot of the local uh, pilots there feel like it's under assault and that there are other places where the same company could be doing the same kind of work without threatening their soaring site. So they're asking for support. Uh, I have some sympathy for these guys because, it, it, to me, it's yet another instance of uh, of, of profit trumping uh, humanity. But that's another story. Well, is anyway, it, is there something to be done? I mean, is it is it is it under legislative yeah. review or something like that? Or uh? well, apparently not. Uh, so what they're trying to do is is raise enough public support to uh, get the Geneva Rock Company, that's the mining folks. To uh, uh, and and to get the local authorities to uh, intervene and stop this and have them move someplace else before the site's destroyed completely. Yeah. Geneva Rock Company is a pretty good name for a rock band. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, there's a well, petition. And, and, and Geneva Rock prides itself on, uh, on being all about environmental protection and sustainability. So, you know, there's a sense that they would be sensitive to this and one of the things that caught my attention on this and added a little bit of uh, horsepower to it is the story comes to us by way of our our, our, our much admired fellow journalist at the Atlantic James Fallows mm-hmm. who's a GA pilot of some renowned uh, very sharp cookie uh, and as he said in his lead I find this an improbably compelling story uh, Take a look for yourself, folks. Uh, imagine if uh, somebody came in and wanted to just tear up your favorite airport because uh, they could get rock or salt or dirt, fill dirt from underneath it, and looked at you and said, oh, well, it's too bad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if people wanted to learn, we'll put, certainly put some links in the show notes, but if people wanted to learn more about this, they could probably Google James Fallows and Geneva Mining Company. Um, and uh, there's, there's the link to the Atlantic that we have here has links in it, too. Right. All of that. And the, the petition apparently is at, the online petition is at change.org. And if you were looking for a petition having to do with Salt Lake County government, save Steep Mountain. And like I said, go to the show notes for if, if, you, if you can't fin- figure this out. And the, there should be some links there eventually. Let's see now. Uh, NTSB issues uh, safety alerts. Oh, I put this up on. No, okay. I hate it when this happens. Uh, let's see now. So tell us, tell us about this story. <laughs> yeah, then. I know. Okay. All right. All right. Hang on. Give me a second here. Uh, why did I put this on the list? Uh, 
five safety alerts. Uh, the NTSB issued five safety alerts on Tuesday that aim to highlight the five most frequent errors that cause general aviation accidents. We see the same kind of act. Is this related to the other story that's on our list here, which is, uh, what's that, mini splint, uh, uh, Jeb. Now, this one is yours. I'm going to redirect. This is how I'm going to change this. I'm going to change, <laughs> I'm going to change the story here. Jeb, you've got a story here called uh, Many Small Plane Crashes Avoidable with Better Pilot Training, NTSB says. Um, I put a link, uh, I link to that story for two reasons. One, uh, it includes some um, airborne video, basically spin training video, uh, shot by uh, 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 Rich Stowell, who has probably done more spins than any living human. Um, uh, Does them for training purposes, does them for uh, uh, research purposes. He's written uh, articles, several articles uh, for Aviation Safety Magazine for me and um, uh, is, is one of the good guys out there. Uh, he was uh, part of the story in that he, he cameraed up an airplane and, and took an ABC reporter for some rides and, and did some spins and things like this. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, uh, stuck in my craw here, though, about this is a quote um, from the uh, from the uh, ABC article that uh, uh, quote more private pilots are in the air now than ever. Unquote. Yeah, I know. Huh? huh? What? what? What universe is he living in? Or really? she? Right? Really? Yeah. Oh, this yeah. is the one that they missed. They fouled up Rich Stoll's quotes. I'm not the sure. The ABC about that. story. I'm not sure about that. Uh, yeah. No, it is. It is. It's the same. More. It. It, it was. <sighs> really. It, I think this reporter spent happy hour at the Foo Bar. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, not having read these these articles in in detail, I, I, reacting to the lead paragraphs and the headlines, my reaction was that although more training is always better, and and you know, if you ever have an opportunity to get more training, get more training. But uh, it seems to me from watching accidents over the years that a lot of accidents happen not because people were lacking the training, but just because they made stupid decisions. You know, they they ran out of ga- you know ran out of gas or they it's, it's, flew into the weather. Training, you know, the can... number one cause, number one cause of accidents in aviation, not qualifying it beyond aviation. Is judgment error. Right. Yeah, yeah. Jeb, you were going to say something. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that. Um, yeah. You the, know, the, and- training, the training that we get for stick and rudder skills, um, flight planning, understanding how to read a uh, pilot's operating handbook, understanding how to do weight and balance and things like that, that kind of training, uh, which I would call you know, the, the, perhaps the skill training, um, is not deficient. <clears throat> for the most part, yeah, yeah, we'll always hear you know stories of you know, I, gee, I was never taught how to do that, or, or you know, maybe uh, their their crosswind landing skills are a little slightly deficient or something like that, and that's that's easily remedied in an afternoon. Okay, the problem that we have in in a lot of flight training is that we're not getting the the uh, cerebral work, we're not getting the decision making training, we're not getting the the risk management training. Um, that we should now, you know, I can I can sit here and toot my own horn and, <clears throat> and talk about how, you know, I was cautioned early on by a number of people. You, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do the third thing, uh, at least until a you get some additional ratings and experience, or b um, well until you get some more experience. 
Uh, and how you how do you get that experience? Well, you go out and you fly, and you you maybe nibble at some of these uh, um, um, procedures, or you nibble at some of these conditions. Uh, you do so in a controlled fashion, um, and you you learn from that experience. You, you can do it by yourself. You can do it with another pilot. You can do it with another flight with a flight instructor, whatever. Um, but the old saw about how a private pilot's license is a license to learn is never more true than when we consider the unformed ability to make correct decisions that a private pilot has when he or she gets a certificate. Yeah. You know, early on in my flying, and when I say early on in my flying, I'm talking about before anything with an engine entered into my skill set. Uh, smarter, more seasoned hang glider pilots than me impressed on me a really simple rule of thumb. Don't take on anything new. Don't take on anything more than one new thing at a flight. Mm -hmm. Don't change anything more than one thing on a flight. So don't try out a new hang glider and a new harness and new instruments all on the same flight. Yeah. Uh, don't tackle a new wing in your first cross country on the same flight, uh, on and on and on. Uh, when I was taking uh, training for my private pilot's license, uh, my instructor, Don Hicks, had a variation on the same thing. He said, the only way you're going to become a, 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 a good, safe, and get you there most of the time pilot is to fly and fly as much as you can. But try not to challenge yourself with more than one new thing at a time. So uh, don't take a new airplane off on an instrument flight uh, with instruments that you with radios that you haven't used before. Uh, get some time on it, then take tackle the instruments, or tackle the instrument flight in something that you're already seasoned in. Uh, the uh, judgment comes from making mistakes and surviving them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can't get smarter without that exposure. When John Kennedy Jr. died it, along with his wife and sister-in-law in, uh, in the crash, uh, what, Martha's Vineyard, I think it was, uh, there was a big hue and cry about restricting private pilots from flying at night are imposing a restriction that they fly with an instructor at night or that they be forced to get an instrument rating before they could fly at night, like in some other countries, uh, do require that. Uh, but we need to start piling on more restrictions, force more training before we can let them out. We need them to know everything before we let them out on their own. Not possible. Not possible. Yeah. I wrote an op-ed for the Wichita Eagle saying if you put those kind of restrictions on on private pilots, it's going to ripple up through the chain to commercial aviation to the point where they won't be able to hire anybody because at a 1,000 hours, you won't consider them experienced enough to fly on their own yet. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, okay. So, you know, we, we get through this by fits and starts and baby steps and then longer steps. Uh, one of the things that irked me on this was the, the, the ABC article was just how it, it – it, chewed up and screwed up some assertions and put together statements with uh, other ideas that weren't in the original uh, idea together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
that was sloppy. As far as the NTSB, uh, I admire them for trying to get ahead of the curve and find things in advance that are specific problem areas. Uh, but I think sometimes that the, the, the five board members over there feel like that they're not doing it enough or fast enough, so they hammer at things that we already know. Right. Uh, come up with some ideas for improving those. And then I'm going to slap you on the back and say, way to go. But just telling us, oh, we need to do this better, uh, that, that's coming up a little short on my expectations. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the five alerts that the, um, uh, that the NTSB published, and they're all of which are on the, uh, the board's uh, website, uh, ntsb.gov, um, are, are common sense things. Um, I'm not going to bother pulling one up here, but... Uh, um, they talk about, um, you know, pre-flight uh, uh, weather, um, pre-flight planning, uh, understanding the weather. Um, talk about, you know, mechanics on, and how they should be, uh, um, and, um, I mean, you know, I will go ahead and pull them up here because, you know, how to prevent aerodynamic stalls at, at low altitude. Um, <clears throat> how... Uh, Flight in um, uh, reduced visibility requires additional vigilance. Uh, how mechanics can can manage risks, how pilots can manage risks, and you know that's you know, I, this has always been an issue. You know, we we've always we, we've talked uh, you know back in the fifties and sixties about how the bonanza was a doctor killer, and and the the, the thing was um, you know here's this. Uh, Doctor who's got more money than than sense was the phrase, uh, buying an airplane uh, and thinking that that makes him immune to uh, various things. Um, in recent years, it's been the the doctor with the Cirrus, yeah. uh, and the, the technology, of course, is, has you know taken a few leaps forward. Um, but it's the same kind of mentality that hey, I've got this spiffy airplane that's got all these bells and whistles on it. Uh, a lot more bells and whistles than you know, a '50s era bonanza, and uh, um, you know I'm I'm immune to all this. And you know they find out you know at the last moment to their horror. No, they're not immune to this. Right uh, before they say, Mama. Yeah, yeah, nothing is new here. Uh, this is the same old story. It's been updated uh, a lot of times, uh, um, perhaps inserting by inserting different manufacturers, different airplane names. But it's the same old story. Yeah, and, I don't know how we fix this. And exactly, and and that's kind of was the point I started out trying to make is that uh, is that although more training is always good, you know, in some ways, um, I think we do a pretty decent job of training pilots. The problem is you can't train good sense, and and well, a lot of these. Well, you can, you can uh, you can oh, train good sense is maybe not the right word, but you can instill in pilots. Uh, some concepts of, you know, let's let's evaluate this proposed flight of yours by looking at the airplane's capabilities. Let's look at your experience. Let's look at your um, uh, certification levels. Let's look at the weather, um, and let's look at what kind of fuel requirements you have for this right. flight. And if if we break these things down objectively. Uh, we will find that, you know, okay, look, you've got, you're flying, you've got a five-hour airplane. In a no-win situation, you've got four hours to get from A to B. 
um, when you get to B, it's going to be um, 800 overcast and five miles. You're not instrument rated. What are you going to do? Oh, by the way, you got a 20-knot headwind on the nose the whole way, which gives you nominally about 15 minutes of fuel over your destination. What are you going to do? Is this a wise choice? Um, but these kinds of these kinds of, of episodes, these kinds of, of examples go on every day. Sometimes the pilot gets through and, and you know, we don't hear about it. Sometimes we hear about it for weeks. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, listen, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Um, one thing I did want to touch in quickly, the last item on the list, uh, we're, we're now beginning to see the, the very earliest uh, indications of what the effect of the sequester budget cuts are going to be uh, on uh, aviation. And uh, Jeb, you, you had some, some observations about uh, some of the early furlough notices. What, what, what's going on here? Um, here's an article uh, floated out of uh, a CBS station in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and this is about a female controller, um, uh, Luella Hollingsworth is her name, who apparently is a center controller, and um, all of a sudden was aware of a uh, Piaggio Avanti, a P-180 Avanti, which wasn't responding to her calls. It wasn't responding to... Uh, ATC, um, and uh, basically figured out that the the pilot was um, unresponsive, perhaps probably due to hypoxia. Um, there cannot be any more helpless feeling. And I, you know, you think back to the Payne Stewart Learjet uh, accident where uh, they departed Florida, headed for. I don't know, Indiana or something like that, and overflew their destination and kept right on going and ended up uh, doing a lawn dart into, I don't know, South Dakota, North Dakota, something like that. <clears throat> Everybody aboard killed. They, they scrambled F-16s and, and got close up close and personal with the aircraft. And, you know, the windows are fogged over and, and uh, no, there's no movement inside. And the airplane's obviously just flying on autopilot. Uh, and that, I'm sure, was one of her fears here. But she managed to... Uh, um, you know, shout loud enough or, or um, whatever to get through to the pilot who, um, after a lot of coaxing and encouragement, um, descended Yeah, and, and uh, finally got low enough he or she could breathe and uh, um, responded and, and the flight was saved. Um, and, a, but, but this, this a terrific pilot, story, but what yeah, happened now? This, this controller then... Uh, last week, apparently, got a piece of paper. I'll, I'll just read the, the last paragraph of the story. This week, she received something. She got an award from from NACA, the National Air Traffic Controllers Association. She and uh, um, uh, 11 other controllers uh, got similar awards for saves. Last paragraph of the story. This week, she received something else, a notice of furlough. Due to the nation's sequester, the series of spending cuts, she will have to take an extra day off every few weeks to save the FAA money. Yeah. Yep. I guess and these are the rolling furloughs that we've been right. Right, this is about. once every pay period and federal pay period is every two weeks. Um, one day, fortunately, out of, out of she's not on the street. Totally. Right, right. Um, and I don't know. I, the whole thing makes my hair hurt, um, um, and and you know makes me wish that we just had some adults running the store here. Um, and you know, this is just an example of. Uh, uh, being penny wise, pound foolish, being stupid, uh, for lack of a better term, being intransigent on, on another level, 
and uh, doing things that are uh, for the supposed good of a very small subset of the population while harming the regular population as a whole. Yeah. And uh, it, it needs to stop. Yeah. We, need to get, we need to get past this nonsense. I couldn't agree more. And I couldn't it, agree more. David, quickly. A big shout out, congratulations, and thanks for the service to Luella Hollingsworth. Uh, you know, we, we know a lot of controllers that uh, they're, they're, they're generally some of the best people that I know. The ones that fly uh, on top of it are some of the smartest people I know. Thanks for being there for the the uh, the uh, P one eighty, and then hope the rolling uh, furloughs in quickly so that you'll be there the next time you're needed. Yeah, Jeb. Yeah, ATC is not the only impact here, and we, we've talked about. I think we talked about in the last episode the uh, the uh, proposed tower closures uh, around the country, and and I have kind of mixed emotions about that. But um, the other thing going on here is. Um, these furloughs are throughout the FAA. Uh, they involve Oklahoma City, and if you have a special issuance medical certificate, for example, um, and you're trying to get it renewed here in the near term, you could well be impacted. You could well be grounded uh, until that that is uh, resolved uh, for lack of staff to, to deal with the question. Um, same thing with respect to uh, new certificates. Um, if you're, uh, if, if you just took a check ride and you're waiting on your final, uh, uh, your real certificate to come in, it could be longer than normal, uh, before you get that piece of that, that plastic card in the mail. Um, if you have, uh, an issue that requires, uh, the local FISDO to respond to, whether it's, uh, a 337 for a major modification on your aircraft. If you have to take um, a check ride with an FAA employee as opposed to a designated examiner, uh, you could be in for a lengthy wait. So this is this is across the board. Uh, it's not just tower closures. It's not just controller furloughs. Shoutouts. Any shoutouts before we uh, close this thing out? Oh, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to... Dave Franson and the organizers uh, of the Wichita Aero Club for uh, uh, bringing in Pete Bunce from Gamma yesterday to to talk to the industry and the members here. Uh, uh, interesting presentation. I'm not sure it broke new ground, but uh, uh, the Wichita Aero Club uh, has been doing a pretty decent job of bringing in relevant, informative speakers. And yesterday's lunch was another example of that. So thanks. Very cool, Jeb. Yeah, um, um, Harrison Ford, uh, well-known actor, well-known pilot. Um, uh, this week, um, at the uh, request of the Congressional Aviation, or, I'm sorry, the House General Aviation Caucus, um, <clears throat> did a presentation <clears throat> to the caucus uh, on Capitol Hill, uh, talking about aviation, talking about the the sequestrations impact, uh, both control towers and, and FAA staffing generally. Uh, and just, you know, thank you for, for, you know, Harrison, for going that extra mile. Um, the article here, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Washington Times newspaper uh, website, um, which uh, it was really very fairly short and, and nonspecific, only four paragraphs. Uh, but what struck me is some of the Maroons who were commenting uh, uh, on this story. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, just, uh, come on, guys, take a powder. Um just you know, just relax. They, 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 so to summarize, they thought that it 
it, it just more elitism, more the you know rich people with airplanes kind of thing. Right. They didn't think that 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 Harrison Ford was a reasonable spokesperson. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And you think he he in at least in this case you think he was. I think he is. I think he continues to be uh, because you know, yeah, he's got a name, he's got a face, he's got all the recognition. Um, but he's also an accomplished pilot. He's years ago he flew. He's he's got you know several aircraft. Uh, he flew his helicopter on a, a mountaintop rescue mission because um, apparently the the you, you, I don't know if it was uh, um, the the government aircraft the, the the normal aircraft helicopter had to abort for a mechanical. There wasn't anybody available to fly. I don't know what the story was there. But he hopped into his, and got on like a Bell 400 series or something like that with a couple of people. And there were apparently, you know, experts on the ground who had, who had discovered uh, this person um, and were able to, you know, get her uh, uh, stable and secured. And here comes uh, Harrison Ford in his helicopter and, and um, picks up this individual and is flying this individual off to the hospital, you know, to get her, I think it was a her, uh, to, to uh, you know, uh, some professionals who could deal with her injuries. And she was astonished to look up and see who was flying the helicopter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's uh, not. So what you're saying, he's not one of the V-tail Bonanza Cirrus people. He's, he, you know, who, he's not. A, he, he's not a. He's not a, a, a casual guy. He takes this stuff seriously. Yeah. yeah. And knows the real deal. knows his limitations. He can speak to this from from with with great authority. And uh, hats off to him to taking the time to do so. Yeah. That's Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What you up to, Jeb? You working on anything fun? Oh, just, uh, you know, playing solitaire till dawn with a deck of 51. Uh, <laughs> um, working on uh, several things here, actually. Um, I'm in the uh, uh, quick break here between... Uh, uh, trips. I just uh, was up at uh, the Women in Aviation International Convention up in, in Nashville. Um, uh, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode. Close friend of mine, uh, Mary Silich, uh, was inducted into uh, yes. into their Hall of Fame uh, over the weekend. And, and uh, a couple of other friends, uh, Cassandra Bosco, uh, Shelley Simi, uh, both also were, were inducted uh, and given awards. Um, Are you going to write about that or... Uh uh, probably not because it's not really uh, um, my my rice bowl. Yep. Uh, I was up there at Mary's request, uh, uh, and she invited me to attend, and uh, yeah. had a wonderful time. Looked over the convention floor. It's it's uh, it's quite the show. It's 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 quite the event. Yeah. Now uh, you're going to Las Vegas, though, right? Next. Then week, I'm going. To, I'm headed to Lost Wages on uh, Sunday, hopping in a, a, a human mailing tube. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't catch that part of the whole. Five years. Well, there we're going to have put that on the list. Yeah, (laughs) we're going to talk about that. Um, Why are you going there? Headed out to Lost Wages for the uh, Aircraft Electronics Association's uh, national and international annual meeting. Um, I, 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 uh, both Dave and I, for that matter, work for them. They've asked me to to go out there and and, um, uh, help them cover and and write up the uh, the show. Uh, in their magazine, so uh, I'll it's be a big job. It's it's a it's it's a lot of words, and I'm on a tight leash as far as deadlines are concerned. So, right now starts kind of the the, the busiest part of my year. Over the next uh, three or four weeks, I've got that project. I've got uh, the magazine deadline looming. 
Um, I've got perhaps another little project here that I need to uh, uh, to lock down. So, uh, very busy time for me. It's a good thing you don't have any house guests arriving. Oh, wait. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a very <laughs> wait. good Oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people and find you? And fun and, and all, that, all that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you can find me at jeburnside.com. Uh, I'm on the Facebook and the Twitter machines. Um, What's your Twitter? Uh, Say it again. Uh, Say it out Burnside loud. Burnside J. Yeah, Burnside J. Burnside J. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and um, let's see, uh, uh, AEA.net. Uh, what a concept. Yeah. Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Uh, occasionally on AvWeb. And uh, uh, who knows? You know, coming to uh, um, um, an inbox near you. And that other voice is Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Well, I, I laugh because it's like, a, I, I, are you going to have as much to tell us as, as Jeb de, just did? Good stuff Jeb told us, but a lot more than I expected. Go ahead, David. Uh, let's see. we got a piece coming out next week uh, in World Aircraft Sales Magazine about the pitfalls and traps and benefits of trying to uh, – uh, put your airplane out for lease back or charter work. Uh, what it can do for you, what it can do to you. <laughs> and in general, David, where can people find you on the internet and the Twitter and that kind of thing? Oh, AEA.net, uh, avbuyer.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, uh, or, you know, roll the dice, do a Google search, throw a dart. Yep. <laughs> Twitter is uh, Real Higdon, right? Twitter slash Real Higdon. Yep, terrific. Thank you. And I'm Don't Jack Hodgson. you any realer than me. It's true. So true. Uh, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, please check out my latest Kindle ebook, Around the Field, Volume 2, Stories About the People, Places, and Planes of the Oshkosh Fly-In. Uh, you can read this on your Kindle device or with the Kindle Reader software on your iPad, your laptop, your desktop computer, or other tablet device. Uh, learn more about all of my uh, uh, ebooks at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson uh, and in general uh, learn about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net on Twitter I am simply Jack Hodgson no not simply Jack Hodgson I'm Jack Hodgson uh, Twitter slash Jack Hodgson <laughs> uh, and uh, and speaking of things that we're, we're working on things that are fun um, all three of us uh, as well as uh, the rest of the uh, UCAP gang are going to be at Sun and Fun uh, in a few weeks uh, we're going to be doing is that coming up already it is coming up and we're going to do a couple of live episodes uh, as part of the uh, Sun and Fun radio uh, operation there, and we look forward to that, and uh, uh, that'll be very cool. So uh, check out our website. Check out Sun and Fun's website. You get more information about that, um, but we're looking forward to it. We encourage you to try to attend. Uh, it's always a good time. Um, this year, uh, uh, hopefully, we'll have all the bad weather behind us and, and won't be seeing any tornadoes or anything like that. So, you know, come on down. Look us up and uh, have a great time. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. And don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners on the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. You can see who's doing what on the new ratings webpage of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you had something you wanted to say to us. Grow old the best way there is to get old. And go fly, because remember, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. AMF. AMF.